May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Good morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and I'm really uh, thrilled that you made it to church today because, uh, man, there's, God's got some great things in store today, so I'm glad that you're going to be here, or going to be here, you are here. I'm glad that you are here to hear all that God has uh, this morning. Uh, and I want to say a special thanks to our jury. Thanks, y- y'all, for uh, being willing to come take a front row seat and like have everybody stare at you for the next 30 minutes. So I uh, really appreciate that. Um, this week, I want to look at the moral evidence for why God exists. Um, and, and honestly, in my opinion, this week is the most convincing of any of the weeks that we're going to look at in this entire series. Even, even more than last week, you know, with the toilet paper and, you know, how cool that was. I think this week is the most convincing that God, is, God exists. And I first stumbled upon this moral evidence some years ago when a friend of mine gave me a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Now, if you've never read this book, don't read anything else until you read it. Okay, well... Read the Bible. But other than that, okay, don't read anything else. In fact, whatever else you're reading, put it down and get this book and start reading this book. And if you've already, already read it before, reread it again this week. This is like one incredible book. Um, C.S. Lewis, the author, same guy who wrote like, you know, all the, all the Narnia books, was a brilliant man, um, Ph.D. from Oxford, later became a professor there. He was asked to do a series of 10-minute radio broadcasts to the people in England. Um, This was like during World War II, uh, the rise of Hitler, the escalation of war, the, you know, the the conquest of the Nazis. And the people of England were going through a really, really hard time. In fact, many had begun to question God's existence. And so... C.S. Lewis did these radio broadcasts, and these radio broadcasts were so helpful, and they help people get a hold of their faith and strengthen their faith so much that he was asked to put those talks in writing, and that's where we get the book, Mere Christianity. I mean, it is an amazing book, and I highly recommend that you get it. Um, and it was in this book that I first discovered this moral evidence that God exists. Now, i got to admit, when I read this book, I was already a Christ follower. But I suspect that had I not been a Christ follower, that what I read in this book would have been what it would have taken to compel me to step over that line and become one. Because here's the deal. Our sense of morality had to come from somewhere. I mean, you could say it came from your mom and dad, but then where'd they get it from? Their mom and dad? Well, where did they get it from? I mean, you can keep going back all the way to the beginning if you want to, because look, here's the deal. Who determines what's right and wrong? Who sets that kind of standard? I mean, can you imagine living in a world where the standards of right or wrong are completely upside down? I mean, imagine a world where those who deal with the sex trafficking of children are applauded. Imagine a world where rapists are admired. 
Imagine a world where those who just take what they want from someone else, those people are viewed as positive. Or imagine a world where um, people who go on a shooting rampage, that those people are looked up to. It'd be a terrible world to live in. I mean, we see those things as terrible and wrong. And get this, the very fact that we say that they're terrible and wrong, we're admitting that there is some sort of universal standard that we all agree upon and that we all adhere to. That's what we're saying when we say these types of things. And, um, but yet, if there wasn't some universal standard of right and wrong, that would be the type of world that we would live in. A type of world without God, if he doesn't exist. And you know what the Bible calls a place where God doesn't exist? Hell. Our world would be hell without God. Okay, that was a little heavy. So, let's, all right. Anyway, I brought with me again our, uh, our, our two bars of belief. And, you know, for everybody at some point in life has to go from not believing to crossing the gap to believing. Now, for some people, this gap is just enormous. It, it, it's huge. But if a person will consider the evidence, the Easter evidence from a couple of weeks ago, the scientific evidence from last week, the moral evidence we're going to look at today, that gap of non-information or misinformation closes significantly. And so then it becomes only a step of faith and not a giant leap of faith. Now for those of you that are not Christ followers yet and you're maybe considering it, my hope is that today you will hear some incredibly compelling evidence, maybe even enough to get you to step across this line. And for those of you that already are Christ followers, my hope for you is that in this series, you will have heard enough information so that you can help other people who uh, don't believe to kind of fill in that gap and bring these two bars closer for them so that they can step across that line and believe. That's my hope for you. So what is this moral evidence? What is this moral evidence? Well, exhibit A is this is that there is a universally agreed upon moral code. There is a universally agreed upon moral code. Now look, every culture everywhere has basically the same standards of what's right and what's wrong. I mean, for instance, every culture, every society, they believe that murder is wrong, that rape is wrong, that the sexual exploitation of children is wrong, that prostitution is wrong, that the strong taking advantage of the weak is wrong, and on and on and on. And there's, they have laws against these kinds of things. In addition to that, there's this universally agreed upon standard of what is admirable and what is despicable. I mean, for instance, nobody admires a liar. Nobody admires a liar. There's no rewards for being a good liar. (laughs) Yes, my son, he won first place at the fair for being the best deceiver. (laughs) We're so proud. No, nobody admires a liar. No one admires cowardice. We admire bravery, okay? No one admires greed. We admire generosity. We admire someone who is faithful in their marriage. 
Not someone who cheats. In fact, the very, the, the very fact that we call it cheating means that there is some sort of agreed upon moral standard that's universal. Now, you might be tempted to think, oh, but Pastor Mike, there are societies in our world that don't adhere to these types of standards. I mean, don't they disprove all this? Now, before you just like stand up and say, you know, I object. Let me use an extreme example. And let me show you how even these cultures that don't seemingly adhere to this universal moral code actually prove the point. Okay? Let's take an extreme example. Let's take, let's take Al-Qaeda, for instance. Or if you're from East Texas, Al-Qaeda. All right? Let's take, let's take Al-Qaeda, for instance. Okay? Now, I know that Al-Qaeda is not actually a, a, like a society, but it is a culture of people that have the same belief system. And so, you know, let's not split hairs here. So, in Al-Qaeda, they have no regard for life, even their own. They ruthlessly murder innocents, including children. They assign little to no value to women, and they hate pretty much everyone who's a non-Arab. So, I mean, what about them? I mean, they don't hold to any of this universal, agreed-upon moral code, so doesn't their existence just basically disprove this whole thing? No. It actually makes the case stronger, and here's why. Al-Qaeda puts these people, their new members, through intense measures of indoctrination and brainwashing. They isolate them. They make them listen to recordings of their own doctrine and beliefs over and over and over and over again, all in order to reshape them. Now, what is it that you think they're trying to reshape in a person? Right. That universal standard of an accepted moral code. That's what they're trying to reshape in these people. That's why they have to go through such indoctrination, such brainwashing. Because that's what it takes. The very fact that they have to undergo those extreme measures and then those people have to be tested to prove their loyalty is evidence that there is this universally agreed upon standard of right and wrong because those folks have to work so hard to get their members to violate that code. And every, honestly, every exception that you can possibly think of has some sort of indoctrination or brainwashing or retraining or reshaping. I mean, it might be something as innocent as, you know, parents, you know, reshaping their kids by, you know, constantly telling them a different standard of what's right and wrong, or it could be uh, religious fanatics, or it could be, you know, political factions, or anything in between. But there is this there's always that universal retraining and reframing of right and wrong because there is this universally agreed upon moral code. So look, here's the deal. If there is this universally agreed upon moral code, how did it get there? There's no gene for morality. And it's not some sort of survival instinct because some of the greatest some of the most admirable qualities in a person 
require them sometimes to sacrifice their own life. So where does this standard come from? That's precisely where God comes in. Because there is no reasonable explanation other than God. The fact that there is this universally agreed upon moral code is evidence that God exists. And it's even more compelling because you receive that moral code from birth. I mean, for instance, you don't have to teach your children that lying is wrong, okay? They already know it's wrong. Now, I mean, they do it anyway. But the very fact that they try to hide it when they are lying, is proof that they just know that it's the wrong thing to do. And God puts that moral code in us. And do you know what, it, know what that means? If he's the one that puts it in us, it means that he's moral too. It means that God admires things like honesty, fidelity, generosity, self-sacrifice, helping those who cannot help themselves, that kind of thing. These values are his values. Extremely compelling evidence. Now, here's exhibit two. Exhibit, I mean, sorry, exhibit B. Exhibit B is this. Is that there is a universal concept of fairness. There's a universal concept of fairness. Now, look, I, the truth is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because it's fairly closely related to exhibit A. But here's the deal. Inside of each person is this universal concept of fairness. And honestly, it starts early and stays with us our whole life. I mean, Aren't your kids, aren't children always concerned about, like, what is fair? Right? I mean, I went first last time. It's his turn to go. It, it, I mean, they went first last time. It's my turn to go first. That's only fair. Mom, his piece of pie is bigger than my piece of pie. That's not fair. You know, I emptied the dishwasher last time. It's your turn to do it. That's what's fair and it continues on even to adulthood i mean think about this you know i'm sorry that they gave that promotion to the ceo's son-in-law you really deserved it that's just not fair see there's this universal concept of fairness that that we all have you know you don't have to teach your kids what's fair now you have to teach your kids to be fair and you have to teach your kids that life's not fair but have you ever had to sit down and have a long in-depth discussion with your kids about the concept of fairness no you have to you know talk to your kids um about what is fair but you don't have to talk to them about what fair is they already know where did all that come from well it comes from god because here's the deal If God did not exist, where did that concept of fairness come from? How did it get inside of each one of us? Who would decide what's fair? You know, for that measure, where did this concept of right and wrong come from? And who is it that makes those types of standards? It's God. God is the one who sets the standards of fairness. He says he's the one that sets the standards of what's right and wrong. And the fact that we have these Standard, this universal moral code and this universal acceptance of fairness is incredibly compelling evidence that God exists. Okay. So what does that mean for me? Why is this a big deal? It means, one, 
one big, big thing. Here it is. Because I am unable to keep this moral code, I am in desperate need of forgiveness. Look, just because we know what's right and wrong, I mean, it doesn't mean we do it. Look what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible tells us this is true. Check it out. In Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, then 18 and 19, it says, Paul writes, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, the Apostle Paul, honestly, likely the greatest Christian that's ever lived, openly confesses that even though he knows what's right or wrong, he can't make himself do it. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, every one of us have been there. I mean... We all have known the right thing to do, and we haven't done it anyway. That's because we all have a sinful nature. So even when we know the right thing to do, we don't always do it. All right, look what else the Bible says. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says, And so people become enemies of God. Circle enemies of God. People become enemies of God when they are controlled by their human nature, for they do not obey God's law. And in fact, they cannot obey it. You know, ultimately, when we don't adhere to God's standards of right and wrong, of good and bad, then that puts us at odds with him. It makes us, you know, enemies of God, so to speak. Because look, if God is fair, then he cannot let our sin go unpunished. However, it seems completely unfair that God gives you and me, he gives us these laws of right and wrong, good and bad, when he knows that there's no way that we're going to be able to keep them. I mean, it's like he's setting you up to fail. And there's something about that that just doesn't seem right either. Well, get this. The main purpose of God's laws is not actually to get you to obey them. Okay, look, now he wants you to. He wants you to obey his laws and do the right thing. But he knows that you're not going to do that all the time. And in fact, the main purpose is not even to get you to obey them. Look what the Bible says the main purpose of God's law is. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Now do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. Underline that sentence. No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. And underline this part. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. See, the purpose of God's law is to show you that you can't get to heaven by obeying his laws. Because the truth is, you and I aren't obeying them. Okay? That's why you can't go to heaven by doing enough good deeds. Because look, because you do good deeds and you do bad deeds. Now, here's the deal. You actually could go to heaven 
by just doing good deeds. As long as you never did any bad deeds. But as soon as you do one bad deed, as soon as you sin one time in your entire life, then you are disqualified from going to heaven on your own merit. You have to find another way. That's why these next verses are so incredibly important. Look at Romans 3, verses 21 through 25. It says this, says, But now God's shown us a different way to heaven. Not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way, though not new, really, for the scriptures told us about it long ago. Now God says he will accept us and acquit us, declare us not guilty, If we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way by by coming to Christ. No matter who we are or what we've been like. Yes, all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ. Who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being entirely fair. Wow. You see, if we break God's moral code, then to be fair... There has to be some kind of a consequence, some kind of punishment. That's why God sent his son to Jesus Christ to die on a cross. Jesus took your punishment to satisfy God's sense of justice, his sense of fairness. And you know what that means? That means that because of this moral code that you have a choice. You and I have a choice. You can either spend eternity separated from God paying the consequence of your own sin for yourself in a place the Bible calls hell, or you can accept the free gift of forgiveness of Jesus Christ and go to heaven when you die. And God gives you an entire lifetime to make that choice. And that, my friends, is the very heart of Christianity. And the presence of a moral code and a sense of fairness within each one of us is not only evidence that God exists, but it is evidence that you and I are in desperate need of forgiveness for the things that we have done in life that violate that code. And that's why God provided Jesus Christ. Now, I accepted that free gift of forgiveness when I was 11 years old. Have you ever accepted it? Have you ever accepted God's free gift of eternal life? Now look, here's the deal. That gift is free. Forgiveness is free. But the expectation is, is that you would live your life for Christ out of a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for God forgiving you for everything you've ever done. That is the offer. The offer to accept is free, but the expectation is that you would follow him from this day forward. Are you willing to do that? If you've never done that before, but you want to do it right now, 
there's a sample prayer at the very bottom of your message notes. Please, pray that prayer right now. Make that decision this morning. Look, take that step of faith. Step across the line. Because the evidence that God exists is becoming overwhelming. Now I want everybody, pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your message notes. I want you to check on the card and on the notes the next step or steps you're willing to take today. Maybe it's this first one. I want to become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Have you ever become a Christ follower? If you've never done that, go ahead, take that next step. Pray that prayer. If you prayed it like just a moment ago, check that box. Or if you're going to pray it right now, check that box. Because I want to send you some free stuff in the mail that will help you get started in your walk with Christ. I also want you to pick up a new believer packet. It's on a little table just before you walk outside of each of these doors. Just snag one on your way out. Here's the next one. I will read or reread Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis this week. Man, I'm telling you, get that book. It is unbelievable. Probably one of my top five books of all time. It's that good. Next, I will memorize Romans 3.20. Now do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. That one verse gives you insight as to the purpose of why God gives all these thou shalts and thou shalt not types things in the Bible. It's to make us see that we are in desperate need of him. Would you memorize that verse? Or maybe you want to memorize this next one. Now, I know this next one's a little bit longer than what we normally do, but, man, I'm telling you, awesome. Romans 3, 24 and 25. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. For God sent Christ Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood in our faith as the means of saving us from his wrath. In this way, he was being complete, uh, entirely fair. Awesome verse. Take a little work to memorize it, but you can do it. Or this last one. I'm already a Christ follower, but I will take my commitment to follow Christ and obey his commands more seriously because I'm so thankful he's forgiven me. I mean, maybe you haven't really been following God like you know you need to, and it's really because you haven't been as thankful to him as you need to. See, once you become thankful to him and, and see all that he's forgiven you for, then it becomes a very small thing to choose to live for him. You're really, you're getting the better end of the deal. Live for Christ, you know, for just the short life you have left here on this earth and spend eternity with him forever in heaven. Man, you're getting a great deal. If you've never accepted it, accept it for the first time, and if you already have, live your life for him. It's, it's wonderful. Let me pray for all of us. Um, and I want you to come back next week because next week um, I'm going to present evidence, honestly, that there is no argument against. Let me pray for all of us. As Pat and the worship team come back up. Father, I thank you so much for um, this moral evidence, that universal moral code that you put inside of each one of us. And I'm asking you, Lord, 
that you would use that evidence as compelling evidence to help folks that have been reluctant to go ahead and take that step of faith. And for those that have already taken that step of faith, I ask that you would help all of us just sit back and go, wow, God, you are amazing at how you have woven all of life together. And all of it points to you if we will just look at the signs. And so I ask that you would help all of us either to take that first step or if we've already taken that step to continue to walk closer with you and bring us all back safely next week. And we ask you to do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.